The Jericho Network on Westwood One. This is One on One with Mitch LaFond, the podcast where the rockers talk, part of the Talking Metal Digital Podcasting Network. Now, here's your host, Mitch LaFond. Welcome to One on One with Mitch LaFond. Joining me on this episode, it is a testament drummer Gene Hoagland. We talk about his new DVD, The Atomic Clock, The Clock Strikes 2. To find out more about that, you can head over to hoaglandindustries.com. To find out more about me, you can also head over to Twitter at Mitch LaFond, M-I-T-C-H-L-A-F-O-N. And now, here is the one, the only drummer extraordinaire from Testament, Gene Hoagland. We are speaking with a drummer Gene Hoagland currently uh, playing with Testament. The new DVD is The Atomic Clock, The Clock Strikes Two. Gene, it is a great, great pleasure to uh, speak with you because you've got such an illustrious career, so many bands. It's, it's unbelievable. I, I tell, when people ask me, hey man, what bands you play with? I'm like, all of them. Yeah, well, that, you know, that's pretty much it, because, you know, when I do my research for, for interviews, and I spend hours researching stuff, I don't just, like, make it up, I was trying to think, okay, well, do I want to ask him about death, or do I want to ask him about Tevin, Devin Townsend strapping, because that's Canadian, or do, do I want to do, t-? and I'm like, man, I don't know what I want, <laughs> there's just too much, so uh, yeah. we'll, we'll, yeah. we'll see where it goes, you know, we'll see where it goes, but, Indeed. Uh, but, but let's, for anything. So let's talk about this DVD first. Now, I've had a chance to to view it, and it really is a phenomenal piece of work. I mean, the the stuff that you show, uh, I've always been intrigued by drummers. You know, Peter Chris was my my first sort of I don't want to say musician crush because that sounds wrong, but hey, you know, right here, yeah. So 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 let's talk with that. And isn't he great though, Peter? He is. I mean, he, he actually, you know, an unsung, you know, solid drummer, unsung. I think everybody's first shuffle beat they've ever heard comes from Detroit Rock City. You know, you know that was, I was like, wow, that's a really crazy beat he's playing in that. That's really cool. So, I mean, he he kind of has has not gotten a lot of do. And I understand that, you know, because he was surrounded by drummers like, you know, Neil Peart and Carl, Carl Palmer back in the day, all the, you know, Bill Bruford, all those prom drummers that are all amazing. Um, but, you know, Pete, Peter was the gateway for many of us, you know, many, many of us, just like everybody from Kiss was, you know, Kiss was just the gateway for a whole lot of us. So yeah, still, I, I still is in uh, some. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, totally. In, in fact, let me just ask you about Peter. And then we'll, we'll get back to you in a second. But, you know, sure. he, he wasn't sort of this machine drummer that 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 kept the the rhythm and the beat but he had swing and he had feel for you what's more important in a drummer that that sort of machine that that can you know never miss a beat or do you like a guy like with swing um you i'll know? always go i'll always go swing you know that's that's the drummers i like the ones that have some taste um machine gun precision is is absolutely wonderful and it's a it's an important quality to to possess um but if you can possess more than just that you know that machine gun quality in in metal these days that is kind of like your phil rudd you know we always we everybody goes back to phil rudd keep it simple okay now the new simplicity is play everything really tight really solid all your hits are in there um and that's when, if you can expand upon that, 
by bringing in some taste, some feel, some swing, then by all means, you know, like you've got, you've got guys like, like Mario from, from Gojira, you know, he's a great example of, of a lot of swing and taste that he brings in a lot of flavor. And, uh, you know, Eloy Casagrande from, from Sepultura, he's another one. He's, he's tasty as hell. So there's a lot of really incredible drummers that, that have the machine gun thing down perfect. That's great. You know, wow. You know, a lot of the, a lot of the younger guys are, are, that seems to be the quality that they, they go for, which I appreciate that. Um, but all the, the drummers that stand out for me are the ones that do have the swing and the style and the, the little bit of flair to what they're playing. Yeah. Yeah. I fully agree. And, and I look back sort of, you know, uh, Matt Sorm and Steven Adler of Guns N' Roses. Steven had that swing and had that, that tastiness. Matt's a great drummer. I don't, I'm not trying to badmouth him at all, but, but he is that more precision in the pocket, and sometimes there's just not that sort of um, life to it, if that makes any sense. But, you know, anyway. Fair enough. I, I, I see that. Yep. Yeah, I totally see that. So the atomic clock, the clock strikes two. Um, Tell me about putting it together and, and sort of what are you trying to convey? I mean, it, it is, I don't want to say it's just basically a, a, a drum instruction video because it really is a lot more than that. There's interviews, there's, there's stories, there's, but uh, just sort of talk to me about the project and putting it together. Well, as was the case with the, the first one, just the, um, the atomic clock, Right. I've always tried to make these DVDs uh, have a little broader scope than just an instructional thing um mainly because i want i want other people to enjoy it as well you know it's, if you put out a drum dvd well that means that's just for drummers and everybody else is excluded and i'm i'm very inclusionary in in, in my approach to things so um why not make something that's going to be a entertaining for drummers and then Say you're a musician, but you're not a drummer. You can still appreciate it. And it, say you're not a musician at all. I'm also trying to reach those folks as well. So um, I really just try to make it an all-encompassing thing to where at the end of the DVD, you're like, man, that was cool. I, was, I, I dug picking this up. I dug watching it. And I don't even play drums. You know, I don't even play an instrument sort of thing. So that's usually my approach with it. And, you know, putting it together... One thing that's that's exciting about this one is that I was able to get the actual tracks from all these albums that I played on, you know, from from, you know, Testament to, you know, Dark Roots of Earth. I was able to get those actual guitar tracks, um, individual thought patterns. I got Chuck's actual tracks and Stevie D's actual bass tracks and the vocals and all that. And um, you know, same with Strapping on Lad. We have this really amazing version of Skeksis on on the DVD that that has a completely different mix than on the album. You know, there's no vocals on this one. There's there's no samples on Skeksis. Um, there's just it's just the basic rhythm tracks, which you know that song's a pretty neat guitar song too. I I'm, I, I remember you know Dev and I wrote that one together and I watched him track it, but hearing it back like this it's like wow you know there's a whole lot of stuff going on on the guitars that that you're just not aware of with Skeksis because there's so many samples and vocals and all the crazy dev layerings that happen um so that's one super exciting thing about the new one that that 
you know, hopefully people can get behind. And also I take a few moments to break down a few sections from, from many, <clears throat> excuse me, many of the songs. And hopefully that's going to be entertaining for people. You know, it's like, Hey man, I was wondering how he played that thing right there. And he's showing me how he does it. So that's pretty sharp. Yeah. And you know what, what really strikes me about the DVD. And again, I've had a chance to see it. It's just the quality of the filmmaking. It's not just, you know, a camera set up in a room and, and off you go. I mean, it's just this really beautiful, well shot. Um, was that important for you to to get that and, and make it look? I don't want to say slick, but I mean it, it looks slick, right? It, it looks good. Ooh, well, great. That's that's fantastic because we. I mean, there is a definite DIY quality to to what I do, um, and having the look be improved. Uh, I guess. Essentially, I just I just tried to improve every aspect of the first one as as you do with with like your band or something. Your first album comes out. Great. Got a decent production. You try to improve all aspects of your production on the next one. You go in better rehearsed. You go in, you know, you you got a better producer, all that sort of things. And Rob Shawcross, my my engineer, my you know, he's also my manager. He worked a lot on this to make it sound excellent you know he mixed it so everything has been a an upscale from from the first and i think that's just kind of a, a natural progression in terms of hope you know you want your next thing to be better than your first thing so we tried to do that and that's cool yeah having having a lot of cameras was important and the editing is also extremely important my my editor, Leon Mellis, did a fantastic job of editing, and especially with just amount of work that he and his team had to do on, on the clock strikes, too. Um, it, it took a lot of man hours to, to even figure out all the you know, little technical glitches that we had for, for quite some time. Uh, they were able to just carve their way through all the, all the nonsense and get right to you know, the killer editing really fun, try to make it engaging in terms of editing. And I also, you know, it, 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 in, in many ways, it's a, it's a warts and all kind of approach. Like I don't have a script by any means. I have a general template of thing, you know, like an, an outline of what I'd like to say, but I have no idea what I'm going to say when the cameras are on. And that's pretty much the way I, I do all my clinics as well. They're all, just off the top of my head and you know um that's that that's always a challenge you know it's like i could read from a script and make everything just perfect and all that but that's that takes a lot of the swing away from from the dvd well itself. it so, takes the rock and roll away from it i mean there's nothing more obnoxious than than a show that's done to tape and and, and which listen there's a lot of bands doing it but it's just not rock and roll so 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 kudos for doing that now um I do want to move on here for a second. Strapping Young Lad, great Canadian band. You were you were with them for for many years, and Devin Devin just walked away. A lot of heat, a lot of media coverage, at least in Canada. And I'm certainly talking from the Canadian perspective. How was that band for you? And when when Devin came to you and said, "Okay, I'm done." Um, how was that in terms of reaction for you? Was it like, oh, okay, great, I can go do something else? Or was it like, dude, <laughs> we've got something good here. What are you doing? Um, talk well, a little it, bit about strapping. It was a little from column A and a little from column B. Like, yeah. At first it was like, dude, you know, like we are 
just starting to, to go somewhere. But the thing that I had to remember immediately was that we always knew that for Dev to do strapping, it was taking him away from what he truly wanted to be doing. You know, the Devon Townsend band, the Devon Townsend project. And I always knew that, you know, for every everything strapping that we ever did, no matter how successful we were getting, I knew Dev wasn't going to be happy with that. And, you know, he, he you know, let us know in un, no uncertain terms throughout the whole course of everything. So what I tried to do is I was like, well, hey, he wanted out after city and he essentially got out after city. He kept Jed Byron and myself to play in the Devon Townsend, you know, in just, you know, Devon Townsend, whatever it was called at the time. Um, and he then came back to do strapping out of, you know, perhaps he felt a responsibility or, or something where he was like, okay, these guys have been, you know, working away hard for me. And I know they all want to do strapping again. So, Hey guys, let's try it. And we got another, you know, five years out of strapping that, that I'm sure Devin was not the happiest about, you know? And, and so when he did say, you know, look, there's, there's not, he, he came to us and he told me and probably all of us that, look, I just need to go on a break from strapping for, six months or so just let me clear my head from it and then you know we'll pick it up next year sometime you know 2007 we'll we'll, we'll do some more stuff and that time came and went it didn't look like Devin was gonna be jumping back into strapping anytime soon and that's where the column b kind of came in it's like well i'm i'm gonna start that's when i put together the idea for the first dvd and then trying to just kind of brand myself and Devin was a huge influence on my whole work ethic and everything just if you just concentrate on your career your body of work your actual work day if you put the same hours into your career in a workday situation um as somebody would do with you know a, a nine-to-five job or something then you know you tend to put more hours into your work day as a musician i find but uh you know that's something good is going to come from all of that. And that's all I tried to do was just with the first DVD, I was like, Hey, let me, you know, we got this, whatever's going on with strapping. I'm going to go off and do my own thing. You know, I'm not going to be tied to Vancouver for much longer. I'm, you know, cause I lived in Vancouver for 12 years and I have to admit as an American and as an American who essentially, you know, who grew up in Los Angeles, the height of the music center um, being in Vancouver kind of felt like being in the missing persons file a little bit because once you cross that border, man, it's it's just for for so many Americans, it's like we we don't give Canada its due. It's got great music. It's got great people. I mean, Canadian people are awesome. I loved living in Vancouver. I loved being an honorary Canadian. Um, but I did see where you kind of get lost a little bit being being north of the border there a little bit um which is a shame to say because there are so many killer quality bands out of canada um that all you know you can see a band like you know, i don't know like tragically hip they'll play arenas up in canada and then down here you know they'll play the whiskey in los angeles you know well it's funny you mentioned that 
uh, a few years ago, the Tragically Hip played the Bell Centre in Montreal, which is where the Montreal Canadiens plays. It's yeah. 20,000 people. The next night, the very, very next night, they were playing in Clifton Park, New York, at the Northern Lights, which is a club that holds, oh, I, I think... Know. Well, yeah, it's like 400 people or something. Yeah, and, it's a horrible, horrible place. I'm sorry, Northern Lights. Well, it, yeah, well, I would agree. It, it's, it's basically a warehouse that they... Anyway, but... Yeah. It, 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 you're literally talking about a three-hour drive south, and you're talking from 20,000 people to 400 people in a three-hour three drive. That's how your career just changes. And it, it's, it, it was a remarkable thing. And, and I remember uh, friends of mine were saying, I'm not going to spend 150 bucks there. I'm going to go to frickin' Northern Lights and see them in my face for 20 bucks. And anyway. Yeah, nice. Um, strapping long, uh, strapping, blah, blah, blah. let's try that again. Strapping. Um, the band did of course break up and so do you think at any point that you might do a one-off show or a new album or, or is it really like, okay, when Devin says it's done, it's done and that's it. Well, I, <clears throat> I am always up for anything personally. Like if Dev called up and said, Hey, let's go do a one-off or let's do a one-off tour or something like that. I'm sure all of us would just, you know, jump at it and we'd find ways to work it out. I tell you, man, it wouldn't be until like 2019 with my schedule. But uh, uh, however, if Devin were to be like seriously considering starting strapping, I've always I've always said this. It's like uh, at first I'd have to have a talk with Dev and go, OK, what's going wrong in your life that you feel the need to do strapping? Because I know strapping was the aggro, angry just you know dark side of Devin's personality to be able to put what he put into strapping took a lot out of him and I don't think he's in that mind space anymore so that's why if there were to ever be a strapping a serious take on strapping ever again I think that might mean that Devin's not in a great place mentally and so you know you've got this great thing that could happen at the expense of your friend's you know mental state and none of us want to see anybody go through a, a, a torturous no we don't uh, especially period. Devin he's such a nice guy absolutely man that's the sweetest so so you know that that would be my first caveat is like okay Dev what's going on you know right you want to do that and what's wrong let, let me help you um I do I do want to move on because I know we we are on a on a clock here uh Dark Angel where are we with Dark Angel right now is that is it active? Is it inactive? Is there a tour coming? Is there an, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of lost and, and finding stuff on the nets. It, it just seems to be anywhere from 2014 to... Well, that's because we tend to keep it quiet. If we don't have something like ready to release or be newsworthy, then we tend to keep Dark Angel a little quiet. I'll let everybody know that, you know, Jim Durkin and myself, we've gotten together many times over the past couple of years and... and started writing a new record we have nothing on the books we get offered stuff all the time but you know dark angel is just a little bit different situation for some of us because you know these are you know especially like like jim durkin for instance you know when he left dark angel in 1989 he went off and got himself a a, a lucrative career doing what he does non-musical related but that takes up a lot of his time so and when I'm out on the road constantly, it takes up a lot of my time. And that's one thing that Jim and I have found that 
we write best when we are in the same room, both have guitars on, you know, maybe a little drum machine going on on the side, um, playing together. We've tried the, the Skype writing and we've tried the, you know, let me send you some, some, here yeah, I've, I've filmed some stuff on, on my iPad, you know, here's some riffs for you. And the best way it works is if we get together and if we were to be able to take like a couple of weeks off and really concentrate, we could really get somewhere with it. Right now we've got about, I don't know, about five songs ready to go. And um, we'll see where that goes. You know, I know my touring schedule is, is you know, pretty massive. I'll, I'll, you know, I don't have many holes in my schedule, but um, we do intend on carrying it further. And we do intend on writing a ball crushing record. So hopefully at some point we'll, uh, you know, a new album, a new tour, all of that will will see the light of day. You know, I know we'll all be excited for it. Totally. Yeah, that'll be great. And you know, I, I would I would sort of say that it's more your baby than some of the other bands you're you're currently associated with. So that's also probably more gratifying in terms of uh, vision and direction and how you know how you put the whole thing together. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. That's always a fun, fun aspect of anything is when you have a definite say, not just the, the say of, of the drummer, you know, um, where you're in the studio and you just raise your hand, like you were in grade school and go, excuse me, I, I have an idea. Right. <laughs> yeah. Kind of like that. Um, yeah, totally. You know, some people are more, uh, more, um, you know, accepting of, of drummers ideas and, you know, cause I, I, I write music too. You know, I, I, I play more guitar than drums over the past, you know, hundred years or whatever. So as a drummer, I'm okay. But as a guitarist, I'm badass. Well, in fact, let me ask you about that because I do know that you do all your writing with, with guitar and, and that's the way that you approach your projects. Um, talk to me about how you do put songs together. And if your guitaring is badass, which is, you know, you've said that in many, many interviews before, why have you not put a band together sort of like a, a Dave Grohl and Foo Fighters where you get out in front and away let's go let's let's strap on the guitar and let's be uh Gene the uh, the when lead I, front man I could tell you exactly what what that is okay. that would be when I get as just financially stable where I could take a year off do nothing but just devote to Dark Angel or or, you know, a, a solo album or something, then then I would absolutely do that, you know, because that's, that's going to be quite the undertaking and it's going to be a lot of out-of-pocket cash because I, I, I don't really believe... Like, for instance, the, the, both of my DVDs are self-funded. You know, they're, they're put together by myself. I did a little crowdfunding for The Clock Strikes 2, um, a little minor thing that was helpful but you know the majority of all these projects are out of my my pocket so i got to i got to be able to keep a roof over my head and i got to also have the uh extraneous capital with which to to devote to to a solo album or you know anything else like i have a project with my guitarist lara christine that i really want to devote a lot of time to but that goes back to the same thing i just said when i can get to the point where I can, I'm going to take six months off or a year off and not do a damn thing other than just concentrate on one or two projects that are both going to be, uh, you know, have a little bit of overhead involved in them. 
then I would absolutely do that. And that's really it, you know? Yeah. So it comes down to sort of financial stuff. All right. So Brotherhood of the Snake Testament. Many, many uh, sites, magazines and stuff called it best album of the year, top three, top five, top ten. Um, nice. Yeah, I mean, it, it got a lot of, for the lack of a better word, it's got a lot of love. Um, talk to me about that album, putting it together, uh, playing on it. Um, where do we go from here with Testament? Because, I mean, the album's not even a year old. Um, are we... It's like three old. It's oh what? It's like two two months old now. Yeah, exactly. Months, and that's the thing. Months. Came out in, at the end of October, and right away, within three months, it's making the best of 2016 lists. Um, so where are we with that? I mean, obviously, there's got to be a touring cycle coming up and all that. Um, Indeed. Uh, talk to me about about this about that album, and and you know, when you put it together, did did you really think, wow, we we got something here? I did like, you know, it was, it was an arduous album to put together. I know that, that, you know, Eric was frantically writing for, for quite a few years. And uh, I think Eric was in the same boat as a lot of touring musicians are. It's like, you want to be able to concentrate fully on the task at hand, getting the new material together. But then there's, you know, eight, nine months of touring that year as well. And, you know, some guys, it's easy to, to just, oh, yeah, I'll just sit in the back and write. And I think Eric does that, you know, he's writing in his hotel rooms and, and on the days off and things like that. He was always working. Um, but I think being able to truly devote, like, okay, I have a four-month block of time where I've, I have to get, you know, maybe I don't write 20 songs in that time, but I get four or five excellent songs i think that's where he was trying to go with it and there were a lot of demos made for it um where eric used his drummer from dragon lord uh alex bent played on a lot of these demos that we had and alex did a great job um and i think that was a matter of eric telling alex hey man just play what gene would play you know I, gene's not available he's off on tour himself or else he'd be doing this but since i have you alex play in Gene's style. And, um, you know, that was, that was, that was helpful. Absolutely. You know, it's always helpful when you get a, when you get a song, an entire song in the mail with arrangements and things like that. So that's how we hit the studio. We had some, some demos. And unfortunately I had some older versions of demos. I wasn't aware that there were new updated versions. So when I'm tracking some of these songs, I'm like, Hey, wait a minute, what's this part? This, this isn't a part of my demo. And they're like, yeah, it is. It's like, no, here, let me play you what I got. And they're like, oh, Jesus, you have, you know, we did that one a year ago. That's, that's, that's a way old. We've updated it since then. It's like, well, guys, just get me the, get me the proper tools I need and we'll, we'll make this happen. And it was an arduous record, man. I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to lie. It was, it was challenging. And, and the other challenging moment for it was the fact that, you know, we, at, at the beginning of 2016, I, I started my year by doing some Japanese Dark Angel dates and then went immediately into some Zimmer's Hole dates. And then right after that was the Testament Slayer Carcass tour. And that was a good five, six week tour. And the day that tour finished, Stevie D and myself and some of our crew were flying over to Europe to start the death tour. And 
the day that that tour finished, I flew to the Bay Area to start tracking Brotherhood of the Snake. And the day that that was completed, um, you know, I had a certain amount of days, like 14 days with which to work or something like that. Uh, the next day after that, I started the new Galacticon project with Brendan Small down in L.A. And then the day that that finished, I flew up to, to uh, Canada to play some shows with Zimmer's Hole. And it was it was a good three or four month stretch there with no days off. I think over that whole time period, I spent a total of like, I think it was like 22 hours at at home, <laughs> you know, like over the course of four months, you know, fly in one night, fly out the next morning at 6 a.m. to the next thing sort of thing. And that's that's what helped bring the challenges to the testament thing. But I tell you one thing, my chops were on fire for it. You know, it's like. I, one thing, one thing I've always tried to do is, especially with Testament is I know Eric, Eric Peterson, he has his vision for where he wants the songs to go. And I just do my best to try to, um, try to see that vision as well and try to see that vision through for him. And, you know, that's where I, I have no problem with, with taking a back seat as Gene Hoagland drummer, you know, it's like, Hey, if you want me to play this beat, Say, I even if I'm not feeling this beat or this entire song, I'll still play it. You know, it's like, hey, it's one song, it's one beat, big deal. You know, you got you got nine songs that you like, and one song that's just kind of like, hmm, whatever. You know, you still try to give your all in that song, even though it might not resonate with you. And that happens all the time, you know, especially doing so many different projects where I'm not the, you know, sole writer of anything. So, um, you know, that, that, that happens. And Brotherhood of the Snake was, was, uh, I, for any sort of, uh, contentious moments there may have been in the studio, which weren't many, but you know, you, you get, you get chippy sometimes. Um, at the end of the day, like I had told Eric, I was like, man, we really got, you know, the, the bottom line is you got a great record here. It's going to be killer. People, your fans are going to enjoy it. I think you're going to get some fans that possibly have Testament has just been kind of an outer edge kind of band for them. Like, yeah, you know, I like their music. They're okay. I think those fans are going to come in and go, wow, I really like this new record. Hopefully that's happening. I got to admit, I haven't really paid attention to, you know, best of lists or forums where people are talking about the record. But hey, if people enjoy it. Fantastic. Yeah, people are loving it. And of course, the uh, Testament Sepultura a prong tour starts in April. You'll be in uh, my neck of the woods also uh, in uh, April, April 26th in Montreal. I'll, I'll, take, I'll take you out to lunch uh, if, you, if you call me then. Um, okay. You know, you, you mentioned that there is one song sometimes that you go, eh, it's not my thing, but I just sort of suck it up and, and, and do it. Have you ever been in a situation where you've gotten to a project and it's just been so... I don't want to say bad, but just so not your thing that you just go, listen, I just can't put my name on this. Um, fortunately, I, I, I've been very fortunate in that regard to where I've never had to pull out of anything or there's been, there's never been a situation where I thought it was going to be one way. And then it was completely different in terms of recording. There have been certain projects that I have become involved in where I knew what I was getting myself into and it didn't turn out so well, but then it was like, Hey Gene, you kind of didn't expect this to turn out, you know, puppies and kittens at the end. But 
Um, I, I usually try to make decent decisions in that regard. And I've always felt like, um, you know, you do have to look at yourself in the mirror every morning and you have to be able to like what you see. And if you're doing a project that just doesn't feel good, doesn't resonate with you, doesn't, doesn't treat you right, you know, and I, I admit I do expect a certain amount of decent treatment, you know, just due to, due to the personality that I bring to the table. Um, and if for whatever reason I'm not getting it, I, I just usually call it fun. You know, if it's, if it stops being fun, it, it, it stops being for, for me. Right. It's time, so, time to go. <laughs> that's, right. that's, and I've, I've been in situations like that and that's, you know, that's okay. Yeah. You know, it, it happens. I just go on and do something else. So, well, cool. I, and as we can see by your discography, now uh, I know that they had told us twenty minutes. We're way over. Do you have time just for 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 two more questions? I've I've got until uh, I've got actually. I think they're t- saying twenty minutes because of my babbling. You know, keep it down <laughs> to twenty minutes. Yeah, keep, keep it tight. But um, okay, well, let, let's just get on to death for a second. The the, the band. Um, Good. It, how important were death to the overall metal scene? You know, sort of what is the importance of what they did? Uh, it seems to be that anytime you talk extreme metal, death metal, you have to talk about death. It's sort of like the benchmark, right? I, I definitely, this is, this is one way that I've, um, I don't spend a lot of time examining things, but this is a thought that occurred to me not too long ago was um say you could be in a band that does you know you know they play their music well they do what they do they're playing an established style of music been around since before this band started but they do it well they do you know the popular and and all that you can have that project going and when it comes to a band like death um whatever their popularity was you know and I like to from the inception of the band. I remember Chuck. He was always um, he was always real wary and wary of being called the godfather of death metal because everybody thought death created death metal. And Chuck would always say, "Look, I, there were people doing this before me. You know, like I'm not the originator of this at all. So you know, let's." divert some of the attention from me back, you know, a few years preceding me to the the guys that truly created this, whether that took for people or not, I don't know. Chuck was pretty much the creator of death metal. And so, okay, say you take that in mind, you know, say death is the first word in death metal. So death helped create death metal. And then around the time of human, um, granted there were, there were technical bands like atheist and, and, and Watchtower, you know, though obviously not a death metal band, very, very technical and still very metal. Um, but Human brought about, you know, the, the change in death metal. They, they helped create technical death metal. And then around the time of individual and definitely symbolic, death went in whatever new direction that was that helped create melodic death metal. So here, death helped create three different genres completely and some bands don't even get to create one they jump on an established genre and they they you know like i say they do it well play it good but you know you you didn't create it you know like 
So that's one thing. That's one props that I have to I absolutely give to death. And I'm proud of that fact, you know, help 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 do some things there, you know. So with with Dark Angel, you know, we we helped create thrash metal. There was a time when there was, you know, there was Venom, Metallica, Dark Angel playing what became thrash. You know, that was before I was in the band. Um, but, you know, there might have been Exodus up, up, up north at the time. But, you know, way before I was in the band, Dark Angel was one of the first, you know, definitely the first three to five thrash metal bands on the project. So, hey, I got to be involved in that to a degree. And, um, you know, with death, I think that helps, you know, God, that's that's their legacy is is you cannot speak about certain genres of metal without having having the band named death in there so um so that's 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 really cool you know very many props to chuck and that's one reason why when we when we do our you know dta our our death shows that we do um it's all a tribute to chuck you know and that's one thing we've always figured is that if if you're you know Chuck is not with us anymore, obviously, but if his music can stay alive because musicians he worked with care about the music and cared about Chuck to carry on his legacy, then that's that's pretty cool to me, you know. So that's why we like doing death, you know. We love playing the music, we love playing together, Bobby, Steve, myself, and you know, our new are you know the the vocalist for it, Max Phelps? He's awesome as well. You know, it's it's just a really fun pile of time to go out and tour with 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 Death and and all that. So we we really enjoy it. So that's that's number one for me. That fun factor is definitely there when we go out and play Death shows. Absolutely. Yeah, and and and, and it's it is a great time if you if you can get out and catch the band. Now, I I, and I just want to ask you about your motivation. What, you know, you, you talk to somebody like Gene Simmons, and he says, "Well, it was all about the girls and making a million dollars." Bands like Death, Dark Angel, these are not bands that are going to be uh, on the Billboard Hot 100. What was your motivation in making music? What, what when you looked at your goals and and your career, sort of what was the goal was it just to to play the best metal ever was it to to make a million dollars sort of how did you see your career going i it really was about i loved metal i loved playing metal i loved listening to metal i still love metal i talk about all the other genres i also love to death but metal is is and will always be my number one that just kind of is my default without even saying you know if i'm going to talk about stevie wonder and how much i love soul music and stevie wonder that is still always going to take a second place to metal um but that was always i if i had any motivation it was just to be involved in high quality metal and I admit, even back in Dark Angel, you know, that even when I was, you know, I, you know, the de facto leader of the band, um, I still always felt like, hey, this isn't going to be my last band. I'm going to go off and do other things. I'm going to play with other musicians and I'm going to be in other bands. And I don't know exactly where it's going to take me. But one thing I do know is that I'm always going to put out real quality metal records and that's one thing. If I ever go over my discography or anything, there's not a lot of duds in any of that you know that i've always tried to 
put out quality. And if that's, you know, if I can, God, Jesus, if you can, if, if you can tag your name to one hashtag and that hashtag being quality, then I'm all about that. That's cool. Yeah, so, it, wor- it worked out. Did you ever at any point, though, have this moment where you said, hey, maybe I should go to L.A. and and just be the drummer for this band that's going on tour and playing. Like, did, did you ever have that moment of, man, I could really monetize this in a more spectacular way? Or was it always, no, I'm just going to do what I do, and that's it, man. It's, it's, it's just metal. Let's not mess with the well, product. It, it, any sort of monetization or any sort of anything like that, I did try to bring back around to myself, like, let me put myself out there. I'm, you know, I remember growing up and having all my faith, you know, cause I, I was thinking about this recently, like, you know, why have you been in so many different bands, Gene? Like you just tend to bounce around, you know, to the fans, you just bounce when you feel like it. And, you know, all the drummers that I really looked up to, uh, well, not all of them, but a great. Ah, uh, yes. Once again, the perils of recording via Skype. Uh, here is uh, once again from the band Testament, Gene Hoagland. Yeah, I, I apologize. The uh, the Skype just uh, died on us. Anyway, I, I guess that's uh, it's uh, Skype's way of saying we we've done enough. But um, I don't know if you want to just finish that answer. But uh, yeah, sure. I'm not sure where it left off at, but I'll just I, I'll try to start it over at the beginning. It's like I was just sure. thinking recently about about where you know, like I grew up. A great many of my heroes were guys who would bounce from band to band to band, like Tommy Aldridge or Cozy Powell, guys like that. Um, and so it's never seemed odd to me to be a bouncer from band to band. That's just kind of what I grew up watching. And in terms of if I ever wanted to just like kind of pack in my career and join one big, huge act that's just going to pay the bills always, I've always just, I guess, around the time that strapping started going down in terms of monetization of my career. I, I, I just tried to put myself as my career. Um, you know, that's why I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm still a pretty independent drummer. Um, so I, I've just tried to, I guess, instead of jumping in with another band, that's going to go somewhere, try to become that brand yourself and, or, you know, whatever level of branding, you know, that's a new term, but, you know, level of branding that I have, um, I intend to stick in that vein where I'll push myself as opposed to, you know, this brand new project I have. It's like it's a lot easier to just be a single musician trying to brand yourself. And, you know, a guy like Carmine Apiece from back in the day, he was one of those drummers that, that, he bounced around to so many bands at, at that time that he, he and so to... many styles too. I mean, from Rod Stewart to what to Sabbath Absolutely. to Cactus to I mean, Jesus, <laughs> right? Absolutely. So you know, I don't. I although I I don't really cite him as much as a you know a, a drumming influence as other drummers. Um, I suppose the fact that he was not afraid to push himself to the forefront of things. I'm not either. So I'm not shy in that regard. So. It's like if you have Gene Hoagland coming to play for you, hey, hooray! You know, shoot up, shoot up a flare. That's going to be awesome. So that's, yeah. that's a kind of my approach. I've always just, and that goes back to being having quality in the projects you get involved in. Yeah, I agree. And uh, with that, 
The atomic clock, the clock strikes two out February 3rd, 2017. A great, great pleasure. And, uh, you know, hey, listen, uh, if you do come or when you come to Montreal, offers on the table, dinner's on me. There you go. Oh, but uh, always a pleasure. Uh, pleasure was mine. And if, 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 if we wouldn't mind adding, if I could add to the... Yes, go ahead. To the fact the DVD is coming out. Um, the best way for anybody to get it at first will be through my website, hoaglandindustries.com. And, uh, you know, it's, it, that's going to be the quickest, easiest way for people to get it. You know, hopefully we'll have all the iTunes and all that stuff in place. Um, all the streaming things in place and we better because it's coming out next week. God dang it. But, uh, but there you go. If I could just put the plug in for the yeah, for the, absolutely, and and I'll even all. I'm going to further your plug. I'm going to say, you know what? If you really want to support the artist, get it through HoaglandIndustries.com because all the money will go to you rather than having to give ten percent or twenty percent to somebody else, and that's how you support your artist. You buy direct. Well, that's very helpful, Mitch. I really appreciate that. That that is quite helpful, and yeah, it'll help me pay. Pay myself back for all the thousands of dollars I put into this damn thing. So <laughs> that's cool. Yeah, so there you go. Gene, again, great, great pleasure. And uh, thank you for taking like double the time and, and putting oh, up I, with with a Skype hang-up and ugh, all that wonderful uh, stuff. No problem. <laughs> I, appreciate, I appreciate your time. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. Thank you, sir. Cheers. Have a good one. You Thanks. too now. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And there you have it, folks, my interview with Gene Hoagland of the band Testament. Head over to hoaglandindustries.com to find out everything you need to know about uh, Gene. And uh, head over to Twitter, at Mitch Lafon, M-I-T-C-H-L-I-F-O-N, to find out more about me. Or you could, of course, just Google the wonderful Mitch Lafon. And with that, I bid you a fond farewell. Thank you for listening, and uh, bye for now. Oh, my. <laughs>